Good morning. Glad you guys are here. Really am. Before I kick in, um, don't forget, we're going to do our best this year as a church family to give 12,000 nudges to our community towards Christ. We can do that. Got these little cards every month. We're going to have a little different emphasis. This one is a Yes, It's Free card. And it's got on one side information about Capital City. On the other side, just like God's grace, we hope you enjoy this small treat on us. And so pick up one of these. Pick up two. Basically, if most all of the adults in our church family use two of them a month of these cards that we're going to be giving out, we will nudge our community 12,000 times over this next year. That's, you know, basically 25,000 people. We can make a difference. This church can make a difference in our whole community. Just to encourage you to do that. They're going to be out in the foyer when you leave this place. Now, Time Magazine, April the 8th, 1966. It's almost 60 years ago. Here's the cover. Is God dead? Any of you old guys remember that? I was 12 years old. Of course, by itself, I guess that could mean that God was alive once. Maybe old age. Maybe someone killed him. He's dead now. Or maybe what it means is that we humans don't care much about God any longer, or we treat him like he's impotent or ignorant, or for all intents and purposes, just dead. Now, they're actually kind of quoting the words of an old dead guy by the name of Nietzsche. Actually, his name is Friedrich Nietzsche, but everyone calls him Nietzsche. Nietzsche said, God is dead, God remains dead, and we have killed him. Now, he doesn't mean that there once was a God, and now he's dead. What he really means is that we don't need a God anymore. Well, maybe what he means is that there's no good reason to believe in a God anymore. That belief in God itself is now unbelievable. (laughs) Nietzsche wasn't alone. About the same time, there was another old dead guy by the name of Karl Marx. Ever heard of him? Called religion a drug, the opium of the people, the opiate of the masses. We create God. We create God because we're desperate for hope in a cruel and uncaring world, he said. Another old dead guy by the name of Sigmund Freud, ever heard of him? He started talking about religion as wish fulfillment. He kind of figured that God was an illusion. Religion is for neurotics because we want to have some kind of a father figure in the sky who can straighten things out for us and maybe talk to us when we're lonely. I guess that makes us guys pretty pathetic, right? And it's become more sophisticated and way more aggressive for us Americans in our generation. There is a new militant atheism out there, no longer hiding in the shadows. They're no longer satisfied simply to disbelieve for themselves. They want you to disbelieve in God. Your faith in God offends them. My faith in God offends them. Theism, our belief in God, should not be tolerated, they say. It needs to be countered, criticized, challenged. We need to root out pieces of culture that have been shaped by this regressive, repressive, ignorant belief in God out there, they say. In fact, if you were to Google the four horsemen of atheism, you're going to find articles about Christopher Hitchens and Richard Dawkins and Sam Harris and Daniel Dennett and a host of others who have joined in their crusade. They look smart, sound smart. And they're winning a whole lot of hearts. they got a boatload of allies. And I think maybe even more insidious than that, 
Maybe an even more potent reason that a lot of people are pushing God away. Maybe. How many people claim to be a Jesus follower but don't live like it? See, it's not just militant atheism out there. It's reinforced by the practical atheism in here. So many Jesus followers don't really do life with God, for God, God's way. We talk the talk sometimes, but don't always walk the walk, and our kids see that, and they're not stupid. Our friends and our colleagues see that, and they're not stupid. (laughs) Anyway, about 20 years ago, a magazine called The Economist it published an obituary for God. Isn't that cool? <laughs> kind of a follow-up, I guess, on that famous Is God Dead edition of Time magazine. And God's obituary opens up with this line, After a lengthy career, the Almighty recently passed into history. Or did he? Because it closes with this line, The test, whether there's a God or not, will come on Judgment Day, when man, we are told, will meet his Maker. Or will it be God meeting his maker? (laughs) They actually published the article in their obituary section under the title, God. I thought that was pretty funny. Ten years later, same magazine, Economist, God is back. What a relief. It says American religion simply will not go the way of its car companies. (laughs) Because if you look around, you look around the world, a whole lot of churches are still on fire, go figure. And only one month later, they published another follow-up. God is back again. Because it's kind of like God refuses to stay dead. Right? Despite our efforts to kill him. And it seems like more and more evidence for the existence of God keeps trickling out. So which is it? Where are you? Pro-God? Not sure? Maybe dead? Honestly, I'm not talking just theoretically. Do you live like God is really there and God? Or do you practically live like God is dead? Where are you leading your kids? What are they going to, what kind of conclusion will they come to by watching you? Where are you nudging your friends? I mean, Christianity is being framed by so many as illogical, irrational, antiquated, obsolete, and regressive. We Jesus followers, what we believe, are more and more often ridiculed and mocked because ridicule and mockery are way easier than reason thought. Belief in God is framed as a leap of faith, right? As if disbelief in God isn't a leap of faith, which is absurd. Think about it. They're telling you that we believe in fairy tales. They believe in science. Ironically, atheism has its own beliefs, tenets, dogmas, which you're not supposed to challenge. In fact, for a whole lot of people, atheism is becoming a religion, and it also requires a leap of faith. I'll show you. Guys, it is the single most important question any man, any woman, child, anywhere of any time is ever going to have to answer, and you're going to have to answer it. Does God exist? And I'm talking about the real God with a... Capital G, not the little tiny gods that most people mess with. Is there a God who is infinitely powerful, infinitely smart, infinitely holy, infinitely just, yet infinitely loving, who actually cares how you and I live? Now, there are just two options, right? Just two, because if you think about it, if you're not choosing for God, you're actually choosing against Him, even if you try to remain neutral 
either exists or he doesn't. And they are not two equally viable options. They are mutually exclusive. There's only one right answer. And the choice you make is going to take you down one of two very different paths. And you're betting your eternity on your answer. You see, every choice we make carries consequences, right? If you choose door number one, that there is an all-powerful, all-wise, perfectly pure, perfectly just, yet perfectly loving God, it's going to take me down this path. If I choose door number two, there is no God, it's going to take me down a very different path. Here are a couple of the places that path is going to lead, logically. There is no God. If there is no God, you guys are here by accident, not on purpose. No real meaning, so you're going to have to figure out your own. And there's a lot of people out there telling you that you're just simply an accident. And if there's no God, you have no more value, no more worth than the sum of the chemicals your body is made up of. You have no more real value than a dog, a cat, or a tree. And there are people out there telling you that. If there is no God, there is nothing that is fundamentally right or fundamentally wrong for every person everywhere. You get to choose your own right and wrong, but you can't force your values on anybody else, right? And there are people out there telling you that too. Now, if you were here Wednesday night, we kicked off this series by looking at a part of a major study done by the Barna Group on the millennials in America. Came out three months ago, October 2021. Fascinating study of the lifestyle and political views and the moral values and religious habits of Americans between the ages of 26 and 41. Millennials. According to the study, this is the first time in U.S. history when the majority of all adults in America don't believe in that all-powerful, all-knowing, perfect, just creator of the universe who rules the universe today. Just 46% of all of us adults believe that, less than half. For millennials, the number is 35%, just over one-third. And here's the consequence. Here's where it leads. I'm going to read this to you. and got to follow along. This goes a little deep. He says, by canceling God, there's no God, we seek to empower ourselves and to replace his authority with our own authority through our feelings, our human rationale, or expedience as viable justifications for whatever choices we want to make. By denying God's existence, we take away any personal responsibility to our creator for anything that we choose. When we replace God with people or nothing, we become moral free agents. No higher calling, no slate of moral values, no eternal consequences for our choices. Now, if you can't quite follow his reasoning, we're going to be unpacking some of that stuff over the next couple of months. It's important. You'll see why he says what he says. Now, listen, guys. I cannot prove to any of you that there is a God. An all-powerful, all-knowing, perfectly holy, perfectly just, yet perfectly loving creator God. And you can't prove to me that there is not. You can't. Either choice is going to require a leap of faith. And that bothers a whole lot of people. I mean, if God's really there, why didn't he show himself? Why didn't he prove himself to me? Why is God so shy? We're going to get into that. 
But a whole lot of people have this crazy idea that believing in God requires a leap of faith while not believing in God doesn't require a leap of faith. That is absurd. Faith gets a really bad rap sometimes, guys. We, every one of us, every one of us lives by faith every single day. Did you know that? I don't care who you are, you live by faith. It takes faith to get into an elevator and push the button, all right? Good reason for our faith, but it still takes faith. It takes every time you go to the grocery store, buy something, and you read the labels to see what's inside the can or the box. You take it home, and you eat it without putting it through any kind of chemical analysis, right? Faith. It takes faith to go to a doctor. It takes a boatload of faith to go to a dentist, usually stupid faith, right? I don't trust any of them. They enjoy my pain. It takes faith to go to sleep with a cat in the house, stupid faith. You have a modicum of faith when you read a textbook, a cookbook, an owner's manual. It's not a question of whether it takes faith. The question is, how is your faith grounded? Is there evidence for your faith? What kind of evidence is your faith based on? Does your faith make sense? Is there a good reason for your faith? Or is it just blind faith? You're just taking a shot in the dark. It's not really a question of faith. It's a question of faith in what? Who? Or what will you trust? Now, I know, guys, this is the most important question ever for every single man, woman, and child everywhere for all of time. Is there really a God? Is there really an all-powerful, all-knowing, perfectly holy, perfectly just, and yet still perfectly loving God out there who cares for little old me? Is there? We want proof. We want proof, right? I want certainty. I want to touch him. I want to see this Jesus who claims to be God. I want to see him work a miracle. I want to see the scars on his hands and his feet. I want him to work some kind of a miracle of persuasion on my kids when they're walking down that stupid path. And God, if he's there, refuses to prove himself to us, right? See, I think he gives us plenty of reason to believe if we want to, but he refuses to force anybody to believe, and we're going to get into the why of that next week. So it's your choice, your decision, your bet, for God or against God. And either choice is going to require a leap of faith. The question is, is it going to be an informed leap? Are you actually going to consider honestly the evidence for God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit? I mean with ruthless honesty. Have you actually looked at the evidence? What kind of evidence would it take to convince you that there really is a God and that Jesus is his Son? Is the evidence for God stronger than the evidence against him? Are you willing to follow whatever option is stronger? Because sometimes people are like this. They say, if God is not going to prove himself to me on my terms, I'm not going to take that leap of faith without realizing that it's even harder to prove that he's not there. Did you know that we usually actually don't follow the evidence? People usually believe what they want to believe. And a whole lot of people do not want a God, an all-powerful, all-wise, perfectly holy, perfectly just God, who's the only one who gets to play God. And people don't want a God like that, so they're going to accept any excuse not to believe, no matter how lame. We're going to explore that stuff too. Now guys, there's an episode in the Gospel of John, according to John, who was there. 
Jesus feeds this massive crowd with a McDonald's Happy Meal, right? Five little rolls, two little fish. Everybody's all excited because it kind of looks like Jesus. This Jesus might actually be the Messiah they've been waiting for. So they want to make him their king and Jesus won't have it. And then John says, and he was there, he and some other disciples were in a boat. They actually saw Jesus walking on top of the water, an incredible miracle. And the disciples are thinking, maybe he really is the Messiah we've been waiting for. But then Jesus starts saying some weird stuff. Stuff like this. John heard it. He was there. Jesus says, Moses gave you manna from heaven. That's pretty cool, huh? But he says, I am. I am the bread of life. If you chew on me, you're never going to be hungry again. If you believe in me, you're never going to be thirsty again. Because, Jesus says, I'm not from Nazareth over there. I'm from heaven. My home's heaven. That's where I'm from. That's who I am. And the people are like, is he serious? That's crazy talk. We know his mom and his dad. The guy's delusional. And Jesus doubles down. You don't get it. He says, I am the bread of life. And you're not going to get to an eternity with God unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. And Jesus is saying this stuff in their synagogue, their church. So what would you think if a guy like me stood up here and said the kind of stuff that Jesus was saying? Well, even his disciples, guys like John, who was there, they were mystified. It's hard to accept. We don't know. And Jesus looks them right in the eyes. He looks us right in the eyes, and he says, do I offend you? Does what I say offend you? Does Jesus offend you? And some of those guys who were initially drawn to Jesus, they quit. They just quit on him. Because Jesus was not behaving like their kind of Messiah, their kind of God. Jesus wasn't behaving right. So Jesus turns to disciples, to John and the rest. Jesus turns to us and he looks us in the eyes and he says, you want to quit? You want to quit too? Am I too hard for you? Am I going to have to conform to the kind of Messiah you think I should be? Am I going to have to conform to the kind of God you think I should be rather than the kind of God I really am? Peter, the Apostle Peter, said this. John heard it. He was there. Peter said, and it's one of the smartest questions ever asked, where would we go, Jesus? If we don't follow you, where would we go? What's the better option? What makes better sense of the crazy things we have seen you do? And the crazy words we have seen you, heard you say. Because as counterintuitive as they sound, you have, you have the words of eternal life. And we actually have come to believe that you really are the Messiah of God. And Peter said this even before they had seen the resurrection. So let me ask you, if you quit on Jesus, what are you going to replace him with? Where are you going to go? What makes more sense than Jesus? We're going to tackle that question too. Now guys, I grew up in church, believing in God, believing in Jesus. You know why? Because my parents were believers. All of my family were believers. My, most of my friends and teachers were believers. I believe mostly because they did. When I was a senior in high school in a little community church on the coast of Oregon one Sunday morning, I felt this war going on inside of me. As if someone had asked me why I was so troubled, I couldn't have explained it to them. I wasn't sure myself, but I knew that it was tearing me in two. 
Finally, and I don't even know why I said it, because I didn't really know what I was fighting about inside my heart. Finally, I said to God, okay, doggone it, I guess I'll be a preacher. I hated it. Wasn't something I had considered, wasn't something that excited me, but I was feeling a powerful nudge from God. So I said, okay, doggone it. I guess I'll let you be God. And even though I didn't like it, I immediately felt a peace. Still hated the idea, I didn't want to be a preacher. But I believed with all of my heart that that's what God was calling me to do. And He's God, right? So instead of studying to be an oceanographer or an FBI agent, which are the two things I was considering, I went to Bible college in Oregon to prepare to pastor. And then I went to a seminary in Tennessee. And while I was there, the profs kept pushing me towards teaching. I guess I was a pretty good student. They thought I might make a pretty good prof. So I enrolled in a Ph.D. program in New Testament at Emory University in Atlanta to learn to become a Bible college prof. And it was there at Emory that I almost quit on Jesus and Christianity. See, the chairman of the New Testament department down there was an atheist. The most renowned of our professors considered himself a friend of Christianity, but he wasn't a Jesus follower. They were just academics, and they studied the Bible like it was any other ancient book or myth. There were Christian professors too, but bottom line, they were training us how to deconstruct the New Testament like we would any other book of history or myth. They were really good at it. I took one class when I was the only student, just the prof and me. I had to read and evaluate a book a week on the historical Jesus. They were trying to dig underneath the supernatural myth and the faith-inspired legend to get to the real historical Jesus, stripped of all myth and legend, they thought. But my faith struggle came to a head when I was reading a book called The Historian and the Believer. The Historian and the Believer. It was asking this question, is it possible to be an honest historian and still believe in Jesus? And he was arguing that you had to separate the Jesus of faith from the Jesus of history. You can believe in the Jesus of faith and you want to, but don't call him the Jesus of history. And the questions that he was asking and the arguments he was making were powerful. And if he was right, my faith was wrong. I think that's when my blood pressure shot up. I still take three pills a day, and that's when I became addicted to Tums. It's tearing me apart. I didn't want to walk away from Jesus. I was scared to walk away from Jesus. What if I was wrong? Because if there really is a God, and if Jesus really is the Son of God, and if guys like Matthew and Mark and Luke and John and Peter and Paul and James and Jude, I mean, they're the brothers of Jesus. What would it take for your brother to convince you that he was actually God in a bod? Resurrection, maybe? I mean, what if these guys are right and Jesus really is the way, the truth, and the life? If I walked away from Jesus and he really is my Savior and Lord, then I was damning my soul. But I wasn't sure I really believed anymore. And I actually didn't think that if there was a God, he would honor a dishonest faith. I couldn't believe in Jesus just because I was scared not to. I could only follow Jesus if I thought that the leap of faith towards him was credible. Is it? You think it is? I was ready to walk away. 
Somehow, right then, it hit me like a rock in the face. What if? What if I questioned the questioners? What if I questioned the questioners' questions as ruthlessly as they were having me question Jesus in the New Testament? What if I just leveled the playing field? They wanted to stack the deck. They wanted to dismiss the possibility of the supernatural before actually studying the stories. They wanted me to dismiss the possibility that there might actually be a God who became a man who died and rose again before ever studying the stories. How crazy is that? But what if you just leveled the playing field? What if you say, well, maybe there is God and maybe there's not? What makes more sense? And if there really is a God, you have to admit that there might be miracles, right? Otherwise, you've got a pretty puny God. If Jesus really was the Son of God, then he'd be able to work miracles too, right? So at least you have to admit it as an option, a possibility. So let's study the stories and the outcomes and see which option makes the most sense, God or no God. Jesus is the Son of God or he's not. And a real God would have the power to raise a man from the dead because otherwise he'd be a pretty puny God, right? So if a resurrection from the dead is possible, let's look at the accounts and actually be honest. Is there any other explanation that makes more sense? And all of a sudden, I got it. I understood why I believed in Jesus. The leap towards Jesus is actually way smaller than the leap away from him. And all of a sudden I realized why so many wise men have said that it takes more faith to be an atheist than it does to believe in God. It takes more faith to reject Jesus as God than to accept him as your Savior and Lord. I'll show you. And I know that I have failed in my Jesus following over and over and over again, but I still believe fiercely that it is a far more dubious leap of faith to reject Jesus than to follow him. An old dead guy by the name of G.K. Chesterton said one time, when a man stops believing in God, he doesn't believe in nothing. He believes in anything. And he's right. People start believing the craziest stuff when they stop believing in God. Now, back about the time when I was a kid, a guy named Sheldon Van Auken was starting to rub shoulders with another guy by the name of C.S. Lewis. Ever heard of him? One of my heroes. Van Auken called himself an agnostic, although he was, he says, probably a theist, but he just kind of thought Christianity was a fairy tale. And maybe it was because of the influence of his wife, maybe because of the influence of C.S. Lewis, but he actually started struggling with Jesus. And here's what he says. These are his words. He says, Christianity, in a word, the divinity of Jesus, started to seem probable to me. But there's a gap between probable and proved. How was I to cross it? If I staked my whole life on the risen Christ, I wanted proof. I wanted certainty. I wanted to see him eat a bit of fish. I wanted letters of fire across the sky. I got none of these. So I kept hanging out at the edge of that gap. But he kept on thinking. And then he says, began to realize that the position was not as I'd been comfortably thinking all these months, merely a question of whether I was to accept the Messiah or not. It was really a question of whether I was to accept him or reject Jesus as my God. My God, there's a gap behind me too. Whichever direction you go, whatever choice you make, there's a leap of faith. 
Perhaps the leap to acceptance was a horrifying gamble. But what about the leap to rejection? There might be no certainty that Christ was God, but by God there's no certainty that He's not. If I were to accept Jesus as Savior and Lord, I might, probably would, face the thought through the years, maybe it's been a lie. But if I were to reject Jesus, I know I would face the hunting thought, have I rejected my God? I couldn't bear that. I couldn't reject Jesus. There was only one thing to do. Once I had seen that there was a gap behind me too, I turned away from it and I flung myself, I took that leap of faith over that gap towards Jesus. And here's what he wrote to C.S. Lewis a few days later. He says this, I choose to believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. I choose to believe in Christ. I choose Him as my Lord and my Savior. Because Christianity, he says, has the ring, the feel of truth, the feel of essential truth. By it, by our faith, life is made full instead of empty, meaningful instead of meaningless. By it, our world, our cosmos, becomes beautiful at the center instead of chillingly ugly beneath the lovely pathos of spring. But the emptiness, the meaningless, the ugliness can only be seen when you have glimpsed the fullness and the meaning and the beauty. It comes into focus when you finally see it through God's eyes, he says. It's when heaven and hell have both been glimpsed that going back is impossible. Choice is necessary. There's no certainty. You have to choose a side. So I chose my side. And he's right. You have to choose a side. You have to make a choice right now. Where we're going to go over the next couple of months, I'm going to try to show you, I hope, why we choose Jesus. Why it makes more sense to choose Jesus than any other alternative. So where do you stand? Are you willing to tackle it with an open mind and an open heart? And beyond that, who do you know that needs to tackle this stuff? Are you willing to invite them along with you? I hope that you're going to come along. If you want to talk about any of this stuff during the rest of the service, I'm going to sit right down there. We've got an elder praying for you in the prayer room or just... Join us in that little class at the end of the service over in the Connections Room. We'll be glad to talk to you more. Let me pray for you guys. Father, this is important stuff. We not only want to believe in God, but we want to live like it. Give us the wisdom, the courage to be people of God. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.